Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Monday, April 1st. Uh, happy Fool's Day. I don't really make any, I'm not a prankster. I don't do anything at all. Maybe someday I'll prank you guys. I, maybe, maybe I, I hold the, uh, I, may, I, I don't want to say never, but I might someday. Uh, we have a shorter episode today. I really apologize. Um, I'm on a time crunch. You know, I, I had a really fun weekend. I, I admit it. Like I had, I enjoyed my time home with my family. And uh, we're on kind of a time crunch today. We're trying to get everything packed up. I am trying to get everything packed up so I can go back to college. I got a couple things I want to talk about. We're going to talk about Daniel Jones, quarterback out of Duke. We'll do a film analysis of him. We'll also do a film analysis of Missouri quarterback Drew Locke. And then after doing that, we're going to rank the top five quarterbacks in the NFL draft. I'm really excited for that. We'll talk briefly about the NCAA tournament. I will tell you who I am rooting for in the tournament. And then at the end of the show, uh, on Saturday, I did an interview with an NFL prospect. A guy named uh, Jeremiah Clark, a former defensive tackle out of North Carolina. A guy just graduated. He's headed to the NFL. And uh, he was really gracious. Gave me a, a bit of his time on Saturday. Uh, really exciting interview. I'm excited to share that with you guys. Really, really good. Uh, by the way, I had an amazing weekend. I, I don't know if you remember last week on the podcast, I talked about a guy named uh, Quincy. Uh, he writes one of my favorite songs. It's called Life Must Go On. And as a person who's really struggled with suicide and uh, really struggled with depression, uh, that was a huge thing for me. I really, really... Uh, I, I love that song, and I got to see him live on Saturday, uh, and it was incredible. I was like two rows deep. I have pictures on Instagram. I was right in front of him. Actually, he threw his water and landed on me. It was really, really cool. Uh, I also saw a movie called Us. I, I, I talked about this also on the podcast last week. Movie by Jordan Peele, and uh, if, you're, if you're curious about seeing it all, I really, really recommend it. Us by Jordan Peele is uh, unsettling. It just really, it's one of those movies that is, it's really good because it sticks with you. It kind of has been sitting in the back of my mind ever since I saw it. It's kind of one of those lingering movies. That's kind of that kind of horror. And I really, really recommend it. Uh, so again, us was really good. I saw Quincy it was amazing. I wanted to move on to Daniel Jones. Let's talk about Daniel Jones, the quarterback out of Duke. Um, the number one thing everybody says about him is that he's a David Cutcliffe quarterback. They always talk about his coach, David Cutcliffe. David Cutcliffe, of course, coached Peyton Manning and Eli Manning. Uh, I don't care. I don't care who his coach was. Uh, I want to forget the coach for a minute. I want to talk about the idea, are people excited about Daniel Jones? Can he play quarterback? Who cares who his coach was? It's great. He looks well coached, obviously, but I wanted to look at the film and see what does the film say about Daniel Jones? Who is he as a quarterback? Forget the coach. What does the film say about him? And uh, what actually happened when I looked at his film uh, Daniel Jones is the most boring quarterback I have ever done a film analysis of. It was a really long, really, uh, again, just boring. I mean, Daniel Jones is a solid quarterback. Doesn't really do anything flashy. And uh, he never wows you with big throws. That's just not who he is. Uh, he just consistently puts the ball in the right spot. That's where coaching comes into play is he does follow protocol basically every single play. He does a great job listening to his coaches. Um, the guy lives underneath. He's really happy to dink and dunk all day short, five-yard passes, four-yard passes. Sometimes, sometimes, whoa, he throws a six-yard pass. Um, and that's who he is. He's a dink and dunk kind of quarterback. And again, that's fine. That's not a bad thing. The NFL, especially today, is really trending in that direction anyways. You know, a lot of quarterbacks steal yards with really short passes and live underneath. That's how Tom Brady, Phillip Rivers, Drew Brees, guys like that, guys who are older who don't have the arm strength downfield, 
Guys like that have made their entire careers and really extended their careers by living underneath and throwing short passes. Um, And there's many, many reasons why Daniel Jones plays that way. The number one reason why Daniel Jones really threw a lot of short passes, very much lived underneath, is because his team sucked. Like, let's be honest, the players around him were not very good. Many, many times, there are so many dropped touchdown passes I want to show you that are like, are you kidding me? Like, Daniel Jones dimes up a great 50-yard pass downfield in and out of his guys' hands. It is awful. I think the two quarterbacks I've seen that had the most dropped passes so far, I'm breaking down Jarrett Stidham as well. Uh, Jarrett Stidham, oh, the guy from Auburn, I felt so bad. And then Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones threw a number of really good passes deep downfield that just went right through his guys' hands. And it's awful. And not only did his wide receivers suck, (laughs) Daniel Jones' offensive line simply was not very good. It It forced the Duke coaching staff to really change their offense and call a lot of plays that got the ball out of his hands really quickly. Um, you know, Therefore, that's why there were a lot of dink and dunk passes. The team around Daniel Jones limited the kind of offense they could run. Now, uh, another reason, though, why Daniel Jones threw a lot of short passes is that is simply who Daniel Jones is as a quarterback. Uh, a lot of quarterbacks get greedy and force the ball deep downfield into coverage. You will never, and I repeat, you will never, ever see Daniel Jones Force the ball deep downfield into coverage. That's not who he is as a quarterback. In fact, you could argue that Daniel Jones is, is too safe as a quarterback. If there's a throw against Miami. The vertical has leverage deep downfield. You can watch it. There's a seam and a sit. And the vertical seam route has really good leverage on the linebackers. They're inside of the safety. And instead, he forces a throw underneath to one of his wide receivers. And it's actually almost picked off. Uh, you can really argue Daniel Jones might be too safe of a quarterback. He seems far more comfortable throwing short passes than testing the waters downfield. Uh, Look, I play quarterback. I I play quarterback in college. I've been there. I actually really understand how Daniel Jones feels. Um, I want to say, you know, the throws I regret the most from my playing career in high school are the throws that I didn't make. When I had a six foot five wide receiver matched up on man-to-man coverage. And instead of taking a shot downfield, I just checked down through an easy four yard pass. Nothing went wrong. It was a very easy completion, but it was very safe. And I wonder if Daniel Jones, if he gets better talent around him, will he take more shots downfield? Does he, is he even aware that that's how he plays as a quarterback? I'm sure he got praised a lot for you know, doing the right thing with the ball all the time. Now, there is a common trope in the media that when a quarterback is really safe, people will say, well, you know, he won't lose you a game with a bad throw, but he's also not going to win you a game. Let me be very, very clear. Daniel Jones is the reason why Duke won games last year. Duke went 8-5. and five. They won a bowl game last year. That was because of their quarterback, Daniel Jones. He carried their offense. Their team was terrible. They had bad wide receivers who dropped a ton of passes. I mean, it's unbelievable how many drop passes I saw when I watched Duke's film. Uh, Daniel Jones is the reason why they were competitive. He ran the ball really, really well, made great decisions. He consistently put the ball in the right spot. That is the mark of a great quarterback. And I think reliability is often a, a trait we overlook. We don't realize, oh, hey, a quarterback who does the right thing every single time I can depend on him to do that. Nobody seems to appreciate that. We talk a lot about arm strength and this and that. Daniel Jones is not a flashy quarterback who will wow you with giant throws. But if Daniel Jones is your quarterback, you can trust he will consistently take care of the ball and put the ball in the right place. He has an average arm. I mean, that's, it's kind of undisputable. Uh, I wonder actually if people, if Daniel Jones was not six foot, whatever he is, he, he's a really tall, big quarterback. A lot of people love how big he is. 
I wonder if Daniel Jones was five foot ten if we would be excited about him at all. Because he has a limited ceiling. He doesn't have a lot of arm strength. He's good but not great. He doesn't use his legs a lot when he throws. But he also knows his physical limitations. He's really, really good at knowing who he is as a player. Got a lot of self-awareness. He takes what the defense gives him. He's very patient at reading defenses. And in spite of his bad teammates who were just not very talented, he really played well in spite of them. He did not let them hold him back. And winning eight games of that Duke roster is not anything to be... You should be proud of that. The fact that Daniel Jones at Duke went 8-5 and five is incredible. That's a testament to Daniel Jones as a quarterback. Um, now... He also does a lot of other things well. I really again, his ability to run the ball is underrated. No one I don't I don't read a lot of what people say, but I did not expect him to run the ball as well as he did. He moved the chains a couple times. Um and, you know, I really think he's accurate when, even when his feet aren't set. He's very very accurate. He doesn't need his feet to be perfectly lined up to still throw an accurate pass downfield. Uh I really believe Daniel Jones could start day 1 in the NFL and survive. He would not thrive. He's not going to do great. But if you put Daniel Jones into your starting lineup week one next year in the NFL, he would do okay. He can do, he will survive. I'm not going to say he'll put up great numbers. I don't think he's, but I don't think he would throw horrible interceptions and do awful stuff. I think Daniel Jones could play right now in the NFL and just survive and get along and be okay. I do not love him. I do not love Daniel Jones as a quarterback. He's a very limited quarterback, but he makes really great decisions. And that's what I think we should measure quarterbacks on is, We talk too often about arm strength and he's big and this and that. Daniel Jones does the right thing with the ball basically every single time. And I believe that is the number one way we should evaluate quarterbacks. If you do that, uh, then Daniel Jones is a solid quarterback. I like him. I don't love him. But Daniel Jones is a first round quarterback and he is solid. Now, uh, let's shift our attention to Drew Locke. Quarterback out of Missouri. Uh, I like Drew Locke. He's a quarterback out of Missouri, and uh, he made some good plays last year. The, the Missouri went 8-5. and five. And honestly, it's really hard to ignore a guy like Drew Locke who throws the ball as well as he does. His arm talent jumps off the screen. It's incredible. Uh, this one was really difficult. This quarterback analysis is one of the more challenging ones I've ever done. Uh, it forced me to make a decision. How am I going to evaluate players? Should I focus on trying to project what they could be in the future, or... Should I just report what I saw on film? And I think I might be able to do both, but really I want to focus on what Drew Locke did in college and not what he could become. Because I don't know. I think potential is kind of an overrated term. He has a lot of potential. He does really great. Um, but this is Drew Locke's skill set. He has a huge arm. He has a lot of throws into really tight windows downfield. That Those are called NFL throws. People say that a lot. That's great. You like that. That is what you want to see from a quarterback in college entering the NFL draft. And uh, he also moves around pretty well. I, I didn't realize how well his legs are. He ran his own read in college. He would get, you know, he even at times would get 15, you know, 11 to 15 yards. He can run a little bit more than I expected. Um, he throws the ball well on the move. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. He threw a lot of good passes last year. And by the way, a lot of Drew Locke's passes were dropped. I talked about how you know, Jared Sidham has had passes dropped like no one else. Daniel Jones has had passes dropped like, I. oh my goodness. And up there with them is also Drew Locke. I mean, this guy, I felt really bad for him. He did not have great wide receivers and it really hurt his numbers. Actually, you know, watching, Daniel, uh, watching Drew Locke made me wonder, what would have happened if DK Metcalf from Ole Miss and Drew Locke played together? Because Drew Locke didn't have a guy who could catch the ball deep downfield and 
DK Metcalf at Ole Miss didn't have a quarterback who could throw on the ball deep downfield. Man, I wish they'd played together because their tape would have looked so much better if they had been on the same team. Um, now, frankly, many of Drew Locke's interceptions were not that bad. I expected worse. I thought he was a... What I saw, a little I watched last year during the season, I saw a guy who made okay decisions. And actually, I was impressed. Regularly, the ball bounced off his wide receiver's hands. Um, you know, He's not as... His, Ability to read defenses was not as bad as I would have thought it was. Now, uh, that being said, he had one really, really awful interception in the third quarter in the rain against South Carolina. Um, it's a Missouri's trying to set up a screen pass. The running back falls over. And instead of throwing the ball into the dirt, Drew Locke makes a boneheaded move. He throws the ball up for grabs, even though, again, his wide receiver has fallen over. There is nobody for Drew Locke to throw the ball to. And it's an easy pick six for South Carolina. It's awful. You cannot have that. There's another interception early in the Alabama game. It's simply a bad throw. He misses inside. It's against man coverage. You cannot have that happen. That's not acceptable to be a top NFL quarterback prospect and do that. Uh, this guy is not ready to start week one in the NFL draft. Week one in the NFL. If you put Drew Locke as a starting quarterback week one in the NFL, he will not have success. He is not ready. He's a very, very weird prospect because... 80% of the time, Drew Locke is a really solid, good quarterback. 10% of the time, Drew Locke is unbelievable. 10% of the time, Drew Locke is making throws that almost nobody else in college can make. You go, oh my God, that is a really tight window, 40 yards downfield. Wow, Drew Locke, you are unbelievable. That's 10%. But the other 10% from, Dan, from Drew Locke is an absolute mess. The, the highest of highs, but also the lowest of lows. Drew Locke is not a consistent quarterback that I have a lot of faith in. It's really, uh, I don't like it. Here's an example. There's a throw against Alabama. It's third and 12. He throws the ball on a line down the right sideline into a really tight window. Bam, that grabs your attention. That is an NFL throw. I love that. But then the very next play, he throws the ball in the dirt on a wide open crossing route. It's like, dude, are you? it's so frustrating to watch Drew Locke because he's obviously really talented, but he's a project because he shoots himself in the foot so often. I mean, he threw a touchdown against Alabama that is one of the most impressive throws I saw all season. But he's too inconsistent. It's like, ah, dang it. I I'm rooting for him. He's like the little engine that could. I'm like, dude, please, please figure it out. And he just cannot consistently figure it out. Now, if a college, if an NFL coach, if an NFL coach can find a way to harness that incredible 10% and get that out of him all the time, then Drew Locke would be unbelievable. He's really that talented. He's such a good thrower of the football. But that's only 10% of the time, and you need that 10% to become 70, 80, 80. I think 80% is probably the most you can get, but if you can get that from him, if you can get Drew Locke locked in, no pun intended, doing incredible all year, if that 10% grows, oh man, he's fantastic. But the fear is that the other 10%, the, the highest of highs, the fear is that the lowest of lows might grow as well, and you can have a wildly inconsistent Really kind of a mess of a quarterback. He's a risky, risky pick. Uh, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm torn up about Drew Locke. You know, my biggest struggle with Drew Locke is that I love his arm strength and I love his potential. You know, two things that are great, but mm, he's really talented, but potential's a risky bet. You, you remember last year, uh, two years ago in the draft, Patrick Mahomes was drafted. Patrick Mahomes had a ton of potential and was kind of a mess on the field. And Andy Reid, the Chiefs head coach, said, 
We can develop him. They did. They really elevated him as a player. Patrick Mahomes won the NFL MVP last year. But potential is something that Deshaun Kaiser also had, a quarterback out of Notre Dame a couple years ago. He had a huge arm, ton of physical ability, and he did not develop. Potential sometimes is great, and sometimes potential is wasted. I don't know which end of the spectrum Drew Locke is going to go. I'm rooting for him. I hope he will do great. Um, But I think the best thing Drew Locke can do is sit and wait for a year behind a guy like Eli Manning, maybe Joe Flacco, maybe Case Keenum. He's just not ready yet. He makes some really good reads. He often shredded man coverage with really good throws. But there's also really, really poor location sometimes. Randomly at times, his accuracy just drops off a cliff. It's like, dude, what are you doing? So when it comes to just physical ability, Drew Locke is a first-round quarterback. But I really, really hope he sits for a year and can develop the other parts of his game because physical ability is not everything it's about. That's not the only part of the game he needs to be able to play. And uh, I'm really, really concerned about Drew Locke. I like him. I think he's a great guy. I want him to succeed. But he's really streaky, and you got to get things. He's got to be more measured if he's going to be a successful NFL quarterback. I like him. Don't love him. Um, and also, it's worth noting, he made a lot of easy reads. I mean, Drew Locke had oftentimes, when man coverage is presenting itself, it's very easy to make a good read. You go, where's my best matchup? You throw the ball deep. And he hucks the ball deep a lot. That's not complicated. A team, There's a, a play against, I can't remember who it is, they're running cover zero. It's like, yeah. That's a very simple, easy read, or guys are often wide open for Drew Locke. When things are easy, Drew Locke is fantastic. When they're not easy, his percentage drops off a cliff and he's not as good at quarterback. So Drew Locke, I really like him. I'm concerned about him because it's we're talking a lot about potential, a lot about arm strength, a lot about things that aren't necessarily decision-making. If a coach can work with him and bring his decision-making up and bring that 10% to like 60, 70, 80%, even 50%, I mean, he's a really fantastic quarterback when he's playing his best. So potential's there, but he's still risky because of how streaky Drew Locke is as a quarterback. I like him. I don't love him. And I'm not sure how to feel. Again, a lot of potential. And I'm not a big believer in the word potential. I like substance. Drew Locke doesn't have a lot of substance when I watch his film. Okay. um, Look, guys, I have done the film analysis. I have... I've done film analysis of Drew Locke. I've done a film analysis of Will Greer, Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins. And many people consider those five quarterbacks to be the top five quarterbacks in the 2019 NFL draft. Now, they probably are. I'm not comfortable saying they are the top five yet because, look, I haven't done a a film evaluation yet of Ryan Finley, Jarrett Stidham, and Tyree Jackson. So I don't want to say they are definitely for sure. Those five quarterbacks are the best in the 2019 NFL draft. But they probably are. Everyone ranks them as a top five. I've seen them. They're all pretty good. I've seen enough of the other guys to go, they're probably not. But I don't, I just, for the, the sake of being honest with who I am, I don't want to definitively say these are the top five quarterbacks. However, because most people consider them to be the top five quarterbacks in the 2019 NFL draft, I want to rank them. I've done a film analysis of each one. And so in the 2019 NFL draft class, two quarterbacks stand alone at the very, very top. There are two quarterbacks and then basically everybody else. The number one quarterback in the 2019 NFL draft class is Kyler Murray, the quarterback out of Oklahoma. It's no surprise. If you listen to my show, you know I love him. I'm a big advocate of Kyler Murray. I believe he is a special, special quarterback. He's the best thrower in the 2019 NFL draft. He's also, weirdly enough, he's the best runner of the football. That doesn't happen. 
You don't regularly have a guy who's the best thrower in the draft and the best runner in the draft. And he doesn't just run to run. He runs to extend plays. He keeps his eyes downfield and throws the ball often downfield on plays where he extends it. Uh, He's got incredible arm talent. It's the best in the draft. Even though Drew Locke has a huge arm, I would rather have Kyler Murray's arm than Drew Locke's. I love his mechanics. And uh, he can work all the way across the field when he goes through his reads. That's not what you see typically from a, quote, running quarterback. Everyone says, you know, Kyler Murray is a running quarterback. No, he's not. He's a quarterback who can run. Quarterbacks who can run are quarterbacks who, sorry, running quarterbacks do not do what Kyler Murray does, which is work all the way across the field, get to your fourth and your fifth read. Kyler Murray is a truly special talent, and he's the number one quarterback in the 2019 NFL Draft. If I had a chance to draft him, I simply could not pass on him. He is that good. He's too special, and he's probably the number one overall pick. Now, the number two quarterback in the 2019 NFL Draft is Dwayne Haskins. He's ranked behind Kyler Murray, um, but that really says more about how good Kyler Murray is than anything about Dwayne Haskins. It's not a slight against him. I'm really a big fan of what Dwayne Haskins does. Again, there are two quarterbacks in this draft class that are easily the two best, and Dwayne Haskins is one of those two. He is a step above every other quarterback besides Kyler Murray in this draft class. He makes great decisions. He has a way better arm than Daniel Jones. And uh, Dwayne Haskins is everything you could possibly want from an NFL quarterback. He's a great dude. I really like listening to his interviews. It, it's hard to fake that. It comes out of him. Dwayne Haskins very obviously is a great guy you would want in your locker room. He's an accurate passer. He does all the little things right. He checks down. He's patient. He's very good at reading defense. He's got good footwork. He clearly works after practice. I've seen videos of him after practice training and doing stuff. Uh, and he's, he's just a guy that I would want to be my franchise quarterback. I'm a big believer in Dwayne Haskins. And I will say this. He's the second best quarterback in the draft only to Kyler Murray. And Dwayne Haskins is a franchise quarterback. Now, uh, after those two, the next three are very... It's a mixed bag. It's, it's all over the place. Uh, my number three quarterback in the 2019 NFL draft is, in fact, Daniel Jones, the quarterback out of Duke. The reason why he is the number three quarterback in this draft, to me, is because he could play day one, 2019, in the NFL and survive. He would not do incredible next year if he starts week one, but he could survive. He could hang. He would be okay. He's very limited. He's got a low ceiling. I don't love him, but... Because he's more ready than guys like Drew Locke or Will Greer, I'm going to put him up there. I think Daniel Jones basically always always does the right thing with the ball. His reliability is an underrated trait. I really like his decision-making. He makes good decisions. He's got an average arm, but he's very, very safe with the ball. And I think Daniel Jones is slightly ahead of guys like Will Greer and, again, Drew Locke. So now we're left with those two. Who would you rank ahead of the other one? Drew Locke or Will Greer? Uh, I am putting Drew Locke, the quarterback out of Missouri, number four, ahead of Will Greer. The reason is this. Those two guys are very, very close together. Drew Locke, Will Greer, they are neck and neck. Uh, Neither is really quite ready to play in the NFL today. But because Drew Locke is physically more gifted as a passer, I'm going to rank him higher. I just think he is a, he's got more, I hate hate this word, but I'm going to say it. Drew Locke has more potential and a higher ceiling than Will Greer. His talent is wild, and his talent is so wild, I can't put him behind a guy like Will Greer. Uh, I think he's the second best passer in this draft, only to Kyler Murray. And the reason he's not higher is only because he's inconsistent as a decision maker. Uh, The best of Drew Locke, though, is unbelievably good. Like, the good part of Drew Locke is like, 
Whew, it is miles ahead of Will Greer. The problem is the bad part of Drew Lock is terrifying and far below what Will Greer is. So with the highest of highs, you get the lowest of lows. Because of his highest highs, I'm going to rank Drew Lock ahead of Will Greer. But that's really weird and kind of unfair to Will Greer because Will Greer could pull at number five, the number five quarterback in this draft class. I think Will Greer could surprise a lot of people. He could do what Russell Wilson actually did a couple of years ago. Russell Wilson was drafted to a really good team in a later round, in the, later in the draft, which again gave him really good teammates. And if Will Greer has good teammates around him, he could really have some success early. Um, I, I like him, man. He doesn't make as good of decisions as Daniel Jones, and he doesn't have as good an arm as Drew Locke. But I really think if next year he gets on a really good team and has some success, I would not be shocked. I think Will Greer could surprise a lot of people. Hopefully a team like the Patriots or the Chargers pick Will Greer because he has some ability. I like him. I think he's got a, he's very polished. Again, not as much as other quarterbacks, but I like him. And I think he has a chance to be very successful in the NFL. Uh, There's a rumor right now that the Raiders like him. There's a chance that the Raiders could draft Will Greer out of West Virginia. Uh, I, I, I would not hate that. He's a He's way cheaper than Derek Carr, the current Raiders quarterback. Maybe he surprises people, maybe not. Again, my top five quarterbacks in the 2019 NFL Draft are number one, Kyler Murray. Number two, Dwayne Haskins out of Ohio State. Number three, Daniel Jones, the quarterback out of Duke. Number four, Drew Locke, the quarterback out of Missouri. And number five, Will Greer, the quarterback out of West Virginia. Those are my top five quarterbacks right now in the 2019 NFL Draft. Okay, uh, I'm going to drink some water. I think I'm a little amped up. I, I know. Like, I'm just passionate. I don't know if it's clear. I love doing this show. It's my favorite thing in the world. And, uh, man, I really am so grateful you guys listen. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I want to talk about the NCAA tournament just a little bit. There's one story that uh, is just, it's, it's really exciting. To me, um, it's the best story in sports. It's my most fascinating. It's a story that grabs my attention and really excites me more than anything else. So the Michigan State basketball team, the Michigan State basketball team just beat Duke in the NCAA tournament. Duke basketball, they are out of the tournament. Zion Williamson, love you, but sorry, you're done. And Michigan State is now moving on to the final four. Right now, Michigan State basketball is my favorite story in all the sports. I love them. Uh, I hope the Spartans win the national championship. I would love to see that happen. Uh, Here's why. Earlier in the tournament, head coach Tom Izzo yelled at one of his players, Aaron Henry. And it was a huge controversy. A lot of people, of course, stupid Twitter, got really, really mad. Uh, People said, you shouldn't yell at your players. That's not the kind of coaching we want to see in this country. It's awful. It's bad. I can't wait until the culture changes. And uh, I I was very clear. I said, this is not a big deal. I've been coached my whole life. I don't think yelling is inappropriate. I think sometimes yelling is how you communicate. If you have good rapport with your coach, that's how it works. And it's very much okay. And it, weirdly and sadly, that is that the sad thing is this, that Michigan State head coach Tom Izzo was mischaracterized as a bad guy, which I don't think he is. He does not seem like a good guy. He's had a lot of success. And I thought it was really wrong uh, the way that people treated him. You know, his players supported him. His former players supported him. But the media, a lot of people in the media went after him and said, this is not OK. You can't yell at your players. And, and I just was like, I, I don't I don't like what's going on here. I really think the coolest way to prove everybody wrong about Tom Izzo would be if Michigan State won their head coach and national championship. That would be just like unbelievable. I would that, that's the coolest story. Like that's that's what I root for, right? I, I love a good player. I love this, I love that. 
I love more than anything in sports a really good story. Michigan State is the best story right now. And uh, can they win the national championship? Eh, I don't know. We'll see. Um, But it's worth noting, in the final minutes of the Duke game, coaching made the difference. The reason why Michigan State beat Duke was because of their coaching. With 35 seconds left, Michigan State drew up a play. They drew up a play, hit a three with 35 seconds left to go ahead, 68-66. to A coach, Tom Izzo, drew up a play. That's why they hit that three. Now, with 10 seconds left, Duke had the ball, and they didn't look organized. They didn't look as structured as Michigan State did. Uh, R.J. Barrett kind of just jacked up a three, and uh, it it really didn't work. Instead of running a play, he kind of did his own thing, and Michigan State won because of a play that their coach called, which is just cool to say their coach got criticized, won because of his coaching. Yes, that's awesome. Now the Spartans are headed to the Final Four. But it goes a little bit more beyond that. A good friend of mine sent me an article uh, Dan Yeager wrote it. He's a writer for Forbes. I don't know if he's a writer for Forbes, but he wrote this article for Forbes. Dan Yeager. The article is called The Tom Izzo Conundrum. What do we want in a coach? That's the name of the article. Tom Izzo Conundrum. What do we want in a coach by Dan Yeager of Forbes? And uh, the article details how every single year Tom Izzo makes his players write their goals on a 3.5 uh, like note card, a 3.5 little small note card. The Spartans head coach tells his players this. He says, tell me what you want to accomplish this year, and that way I can help you do it. You got to tell me what you want so I can do the best to help you get your goals and achieve your goals. And here's what's so cool. When Tom Izzo yelled at Aaron Henry in the, earlier in the tournament because he wasn't giving good effort on defense, there was a great reason behind it. You know what Aaron Henry wrote on his 3.5 note card, 3x5 note card? What he wrote was this. He said, I want to go to the final four. That was Aaron Henry's goal. And so when coach Izzo yelled at him, he was actually just fulfilling a promise to do everything he could to help his player get to the final four. He called him out. He challenged him. He said, this is not acceptable. This is not the agreement we made. You said you wanted your goals. You want me to help you get your goals. I got to challenge you and make and and ask for you and yell at you to get better defense out of you because what you're doing, Aaron Henry, is not okay. That is the coolest thing ever. How did we get this lucky in sports? I love that story. Of course, the reason why the coach was yelling was for a good reason, and there's a great reason behind it. It's a promise. He's literally fulfilling a promise he made to his player. I love that story so much, and I hope that Michigan State wins the whole dang thing. I don't know that they will, but it would be so cool to stick it to everybody on Twitter and all these stupid people who said, you shouldn't yell at your players. If the guy who yelled at his players... Won a national championship and his players rallied around him. Oh, guys, as sports fans, that is exactly what we want. And that's why it's so cool. I'm rooting for Michigan State. I hope they win the national championship and win March Madness. That would be fantastic. Uh, Okay, a quick reminder. If you're struggling, go get help. I say this every episode. It's very important to me. Do not keep your struggles a secret. It's very, very important. Uh... In 2016, my younger brother killed himself. He took his life. It was awful. It's the worst thing that's ever happened to me by far. And, um, you know, he never told anybody he was struggling. My brother never talked to anybody. One day, we just went in his room and found him dead on on his bed. And if you're having a hard time, I, I just please, I ask you and I urge you, please go tell somebody about it. It's very, very important. Go get professional help. Uh, Just do not keep your struggles a secret. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. Call it if you need to, but please talk to somebody. 
Uh, I wish my brother had talked to me about his struggles. He never did. And I just, every, I urge you, if you're listening to this message, please, and you're having a hard time with something, write it down, journal about it, and tell someone in your life, do please vocalize it to somebody in your life. Do not keep your struggles a secret. It's very important to me. It's a message I just want to share from my heart. I miss my brother tremendously. I don't want people to die the way he did. And I don't want people to struggle in silence and not talk about their problems. If you are struggling, please go get help. All right. Um, <laughs> this, this is so cool. I'm so excited for this next segment. Uh, how about this? On Saturday, I interviewed a guy named Jeremiah Clark. He's a great guy, super cool human. And uh, his nickname is Mellow. That's what he goes by on social media. He just finished his college football career at the University of North Carolina. He's now entering the NFL, and he plays defensive tackle. First of all, I want to say this. This is important for me to get ahead of. Um, I was super excited. This was my first time ever interviewing a player on Strong Opinion Sports. And I learned a tough lesson through this interview. I cut him off a couple times at the very beginning. And uh, that's not who I want to be as a broadcaster. It kind of sucks that that's a lesson you have to learn by doing. You got to screw up and go, ah, crap. I don't want to be that guy and do that next time. So I just wanted to get ahead of that. But I want to also say, he's a great guy. I'm a big fan of his. And I'm so grateful he took the time to give me an interview. He gives some really good answers. It's really, really fun. And uh, one more thing I want to note. Uh, a guy named Todd Green. Todd, G-R-E-E-N-E, at Todd Green 40 on Twitter, provided me with some photos for this video. And uh, man, he's an awesome guy. What he does is take pictures for the North Carolina football players and gives them to the players. Uh, and as a college football player myself, I can tell you how hard it is to go find pictures of yourself playing. It's difficult. The fact that Todd does that is so, so awesome. So Todd, thank you so much. Go follow him on Twitter at Todd Green 40. And uh, now enjoy my interview with Jeremiah Clark. Your name's Jeremiah Clark. I'm so sorry to ask this. I'm sure everybody asks you this question. Um, I, I apologize, but why do people call you Mellow? That's, I think, an interesting uh, side I want, I'd love to hear. Um, yeah, so uh, the nickname came from my sister. Um, I needed a nickname <laughs> for my basketball black at high school. Mm. And she said I look like a fat Carmelo Anthony. Um, <laughs> you've embraced it, though. It's pretty cool. Like, I respect what you've done. Yeah, uh, you know, I try to make a brand out of it. But yeah, she you know, used to wear a low cut, wear a headband, stuff like that. So. Yeah. I kind of just stuck, and it's just been my nickname ever since. <laughs> I love that. You know, you led into my next question, which was I, I watched a bunch of interviews with you. First of all, you're hilarious. You really are like a great personality. It's very entertaining. Are you concerned with your personal brand? Is that something you try to promote and try to grow? Uh, you know, I just want it to be a brand that people can, uh, you know, that can people people can enjoy and yeah. uh, also, you know, send the right message. Uh, yeah. This has always been my platform just yeah. to, you know, not to, to mess up my brand or whatever. Just to, to be yourself, uh, sounds one. like, and just be – Mellow. Yeah, just be, be Jeremiah, be who I am, and you know, just have fun with it. That's awesome. Do you think that is an asset to NFL teams at all? I mean, I know we always talk about on the field. Do you think you're, who you are off the field and your personality is a, a, a strength that you could bring to the NFL? I mean, definitely. I think I'm a marketable person, and you know, with the social media following I think I have, um, yeah. I mean, I believe it, it, it's not going to hinder it. I mean, unless... Yeah. No, dude, no, no BS. Like, you are really funny. Like, you really do great interviews. It's hilarious. Yeah, this is a part of my personality. I don't really have to change that part. Yeah. Do you, would you ever work in the media? Like when you're done playing, would you go work in radio or something? Uh, I wouldn't mind it. My my goal is to be a high school athletic director and a mm. high school football coach. Oh, that's cool. I'd like to give back you know, to my community and stuff like yeah. that. Oh, that's awesome, man. I love that. Um, can I ask you next? You know, I don't tell me numbers. I just want to know what you think you bring to an NFL locker room as far as your ability and who you are. And not just locker room, on the field, what can you do and what do you bring to an NFL team? 
Um, you know, on the field, I'm definitely going to bring a terrific effort and, mm. you know, a defensive, uh, a defensive stopper as a, as a defensive lineman. Yeah. Um, and definitely try to give a presence up front. Uh, but honestly, it's just versatility. Mm. Um, a person who's always going to be ready to play no matter what. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just a person that's there. Um, that's a good answer. You know, like the Joe, I call it the Joe Biden effect. Just be there and be ready to uh, go at any time. So, what do you, um, what's a defensive yeah. stopper? You, you mentioned that. What's that mean to you? Uh, definitely a good run defender. Um, mm. I can get after it in the past game, but I'm, I'm definitely there as a run stopper and uh, someone who can clog up the middle and make plays like that. You know, I'm, I'm really curious. How do you approach different situations? Like on first and 10, how does your rush and how does your approach change compared to third and one or third and 10? Well, first and ten is normally a rundown, yeah. uh, depending on team or you know film and stuff like that, and, and game study. Those, those are how you get a different feel for it going. And in. what are you doing a rundown? On a rundown, uh, definitely just you know anchor down, do my thing, try to get uh, pressure on the uh, on the running back to, to you know make a decision quickly, yeah. and uh, you know decide on the gap so I can make a play and make a tackle in the backfield. Uh, yeah, I definitely like to get off the ball and 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 make plays like that on the line of scrimmage yeah. or in the backfield. So how does that change on third and ten, a passing down where they're probably throwing? Uh, on passing downs, you know, that's where, you know, you put your butt up in the air and get ready to, to go flying, ears up, and, and, and go hunt the quarterback. Are you literally uh, physically different. higher? Um, I mean, a little bit. You get more of, like, you know, I guess more of a track stance out hmm. of your run, um, out of your normal pass rush stance. So it, it's just more of a chance for you. You're lighter on your uh, hands, you know, so just so you can fire out and, and make a play. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, can we talk about your pro day? I'm really, I'm, I'm fascinated by that experience. Uh, yeah, it was, um, it's a great experience. Um, you know, a lot of nerves, a lot of, a lot of energy going on that day. Yeah. Um, I, it went well, you know, moved Good. around well, Good to things hear that. like that. Um, but yeah, definitely it was a great experience. What is a, a good pro day for you? Like what makes it a good pro day for you as a defensive tackle? Uh, definitely want to see your mobility, mm. uh, things like that, strength, um, your push, your ability to uh, strike things. Um, but definitely just the position drills just to see you, you know, play, do football type things. And, uh, and uh, I guess in the, the running stuff or the athletics, you know, good get off, you know, explosion and like a, a broad jumper or, or um, a vertical. And they definitely want to see how quick you are in the 5 to 5 So because mm. each drill has, has meaning that carries over to the football field. But, you know, if you can play, they'll find you. And, you know, if you make plays, they, the NFL will find you. That's always been their their big thing. So yeah. I mean, as long as you go out there and just do, you know be you, best you you can be, I'm pretty sure you'll have a shot at the next level. That's awesome. What what is the preparation like? I mean, obviously you're training and stuff, but I mean, are you do you have a script or an outline of that day? What that day looks like? Um, the pro day or just a normal? The, yeah, the pro day. There? The pro day. Uh, the pro day for us started at one, so you know, got up kind of early. You know, yeah. did some uh, treatment and things like that, just to get warmed up and stressed and things. And then, you know, measurements, um, bench press, vertical, uh, broad jump, five ten five forty, three cone drill, and then into position work mm. uh, with the scouts. Yeah, and you felt good about yours. You said that. Yeah, yeah, I felt good about just the whole process. You know, um, it went smooth and everything kind of flowed and. Uh, it, it was a great experience. Do you meet with teams? Like, do you, do you have interviews and discussions with them? Oh uh, yeah, I met with a couple of teams, but uh, yeah, you know, just here and there, yeah. talking to some coaches and stuff. That's awesome. That's cool. Um, I, I'm really curious too. You have an agent. What's that process? I mean, what's that like having? I've never had an agent. What's that like? 
Um, having an agent is, is, is great, I guess. I mean, um, my <laughs> I, I guess you have are, to say that, right? Again. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. My, my agency is fantastic. Mm. Uh, I signed with U.S. Sports Management um, nice. in, out of Charlotte. Nice. Um, uh, and it's just great to have them communicate and get me, get me ready to do the pro day and yeah. my next couple steps. And it's just, it's been a fantastic journey, um, transitioning from a college football player into a potential NFL draft pick or, you know, an yeah. NFL player, regardless of what happens. Um, but yeah, it's, just, it's awesome to have somebody in your corner, you know, uh, who's obviously rooting for you and sees potential in you and, uh, you know, wants to just see you succeed, whether it's for their own financial gain or whatever it is. I felt as my agency, you know, wanted to see me succeed just as a football player um, and then just go from there. So that, that was definitely a big thing in my decision process. But, you know, having an agent, um, you know, obviously important at this stage in the game, but uh, I think signing with somebody or agency that you feel is going to put their best foot forward and their energy into making this your dream happen, I think is, is a big thing when, you, when you're deciding on the agent. Oh, yeah. What kind of stuff do they do? I mean, they give you advice on how to prepare, and like, I'm sure they have a lot of insights that you wouldn't because they've done the process before. Um, yeah, so they, they, I mean, mainly they set up, you know, your workout facilities, and they, they pay for a lot of things because, mm. you know, you, you don't have yeah. the funds to, to do the whole pro day process and the training process. Mm. So they kind of front um, most of the things. I mean, it depends on the agency and, you yeah. know, uh, the agreement you have with your agents. But, you know, they, they just make sure that everything's taken care of as far as anything you need in your process or um, yes. need to have to be successful. So they're a real ally. I mean, it sounds like they really help you get everything prepared so that you can just worry about playing football. Yeah, definitely. They definitely take the, the extra stuff out of it and just allow you to do the basis, just play That's football awesome. and be you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that, man. Um, do you have any other insights? I'm really, I, I've never played defensive tackle. I played quarterback in college. What, what to you makes a good defensive tackle? What qualities would a good defensive tackle have? Um, honestly, a uh, good defensive tackle, I say, is aggressive. Um, and is able to make, you know, plays on the line of scrimmage or in the backfield and uh, definitely good with their hands, yeah. quick. I mean, honestly, the same things that make any football player. Um, but I think when it just comes to defense, you just have to have a certain mindset because, yeah. I mean, it gets rough. You, you're oh, yeah. hitting somebody after the play. So <laughs> you got to be an aggressor and you got to have a certain mindset to attack. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I guess aside from that, just myself, my personal thing is just like I want to make the play. Not that I'm like doing anything outside of the framework of what our defense or what the defense I'm running is. It's just like I would like to be the one to make the play for our defense. So I'm trying to, you know, get in on every play. I'm trying to hustle down the field and maybe make a play after, you know, it's it's broken a couple tackles or whatever, whatever it means to help the team. But, you know, I'm definitely a team player, so I want to be someone who's is able to produce and, and go out there and uh, make sure things get done. Mm, that's awesome. What about? I know you don't play defensive end, but I'm sure you know more than I do. What makes a good defensive end? Uh, the same things. Um, yeah. Honestly, just a lot of speed on the edge yeah. and discipline because, you know, nothing should – I mean, depending on some defenses, nothing kind of should get outside of you Yeah. Um, as a defensive end. I mean, there's certain plays where, you know, you got to do this and that, but um, it definitely just takes good eyesight, discipline, um, you know, staying low and just, you know, making plays. Uh, a good pass rush never giving up on a move, having a second move, things like that. But that's, yeah. that's like I said, every position. Yeah. Defense and a defensive tackle, there's no real difference except, um, I guess it's just a little easier to get a get, get a sack if you play DN than it is to be tackled. But yeah. I played DN in high school, and in certain packages and stuff, I'd go out on the edge. So, I yeah. mean, I've, I've had my share of playing in and outside. Yeah, you talked about versatility. That's, that's something you bring. What does that mean to you? 
uh, you know, just being able to play multiple positions mm-hmm. and knowing multiple positions, not just your own, you know, knowing yeah. what the corners do and the linebackers do and the safeties do and the framework of the defense. So that way you can play off them and, and it definitely uh, heightens your game. Because if you only know what you do, then it, it kind of hinders you just in knowing the, the whole framework of the defense. Because mm. if you mess up, then you know – if you know what everyone's doing and you mess up, then you know, you know, what, what you're messing up in the defense. Whereas yeah. if you know there's a corner outside you, you can kind of work in this kind of area and do what you have to do to make the play. So, yeah. it, I mean, it helps knowing who has what and how you, you work in that. And it definitely uh, it benefits, you know, allowing you to get a little uh, wiggle room in some of the plays. That's awesome. You know, when you prepare for a game, what kind of film study do you guys do? I, like? I know what quarterbacks do. What does a defensive tackle do, uh, pre- like preparing for a game in the film room? Um, you know, we watch each. I, I like to watch each uh, offensive lineman tackle to tackle, mm-hmm. um, because, like I said, I don't know where I'm gonna end up. Yeah. Um, or who I'm gonna end up on during the course of the game. Yeah. Um, so definitely like to do that. Uh, you know, look at their stance. You know, how if they're heavy on their hand, if they're light mm-hmm. on their hand. If, uh, if it's run, if they if they kick their foot back, if it's pass, you know, in their stance, just to see if I can get any indicators going into the game to help me make plays faster. Because if you if you watch enough film, I mean, a lot of uh, players have tells. You know, so yeah. like if they're heavy on their hand, that that can tell you it's run. If they're light yeah. on their hand, they can tell you it's pass. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it just gives you a lot of different, um, it helps you, you know, play faster if you, if you do a good film study. So, you know, I like to get in there on a Monday, which is normally our off day during the season and, uh, try to watch as much film as possible throughout the week. And just, so when I get to game day, I know the offensive alignment better probably than they know themselves just to make it easier on myself. Um, when it comes to playing on Saturday. That's awesome. You you reference heavy on the hands. What is, what does that mean to you? What's that? Um, you know, just, that means a lot of weight on their hands. Um, mm. I'm trying to think. There's a movie. I want to say it's uh, Invincible. Mm. And there's a scene where one of the offensive linemen, because uh, he, he's Caucasian or white, mm-hmm. you know, his knuckles turn red because there's so much pressure on his hands. Mm. Uh, that means he was firing out. So, like, somebody was telling him, like, if his hands is red, that means he's going to come at you full speed. But if they're, like, white, that means he's probably going to back up for a pass. So heavy on your hands just means that their they're weight's forward more so they can shoot out on a run block. Because um, I played offensive line in high school. Mm-hmm. I kind of know that. So, um, yeah, so, like, you know, a lot of pressure on your hands means they're kind of, like, loaded up and ready for for run. But, you know, the way college football is set up now, RPOs, things like that, um, those things are there to deceive you. But whatever can help you get the heads up is, is always helpful. Dude, that was a brilliant answer. <laughs> that, that was awesome. I love that. Um, when you look back, I think maybe this is the final question. When you look back on your time at UNC – is there anything you're proud of, or anything you want to reflect on and just talk about? I, I don't know. I know when I graduated high school, there's like a couple moments. I was, like, I was really proud of this. Do you have anything like that? Um. Yeah. I mean, I played here in eleven and three seasons, and I played here when we haven't had the best years. Um, yeah. And I kind of gotta say, when you're winning, it's it's a it's hell of fun. Like it's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's, it's it's a great atmosphere. You yeah. know, everyone's rooting for you. And then when you're losing, I mean, it's not as fun. But I played with a fantastic group of of players that. Even, I mean, if you came in the locker room or just on the sideline and just played with them, you would have never known the record based mm. off of how they practice yeah. and how we prepare. Oh, that's cool. Um, so, I mean, day in and day out, you would have thought we were an undefeated Clemson team just by mm. the way everyone came in and was ready to work. So, oh. um, it just made the, the winning fun. It yeah. made it so much fun um, just to, you know, go out there and get a win and celebrate with them. And, 
you know, dance around in, in, in the backfield and, and have that. And so, like I said, I played with NFL guys and I played with people who are still in college that probably would be future NFL guys. And I've, I've had some of the best years on a football field I've had in a while. Um, yeah, I mean, I played with one of my high school players here. He, uh, we both came here from the same year, same year, uh, same high school, which is uh, T.C. Williams. If you've ever seen Remember the Titans, yeah, I have. Um, yeah, so I, I played there in high school, <laughs> and awesome. me and him were able, were lucky enough to play on the next level and play right next to each other. He played defensive end. Oh wow, um, elite coming. Um, so like, like I said, I've had a blast, high fiving, working on celebrations, you know just trying to make the best of it. And um, I guess if I had like a the best moment or best game, I'd probably have to say either the Miami game, my sophomore year, where he got a strip sack and I scooped it to secure a win. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I tried That's a to cool score, memory, but man. I got, got fumbled up. Or uh, I think my Clemson game, my redshirt freshman year when we played Deshaun Watson. Mm. And uh, I came in off the bench and had three straight tackles. Um, and one drive just to just to you know get a three and out. Um, so you know moments like that are just fun. You know just to play against top top like caliber people and just be able to go out there and ball out and and have a blast. Man, when you play a guy like Deshaun Watson, how how worried about his legs are you? Look, like, he can throw the ball really well downfield, but he also can run. That's I would imagine that's incredibly painful and difficult to game plan for. How do you, how do you stop a guy like that? What, what do, you, do you have anything to say about that? Um, yeah, you know, you just watch enough film so you, you got an idea of what he can and can't do and yeah. you just go from there. But I mean, they're a good player. You, I believe I'm a good player, so I'm just going out there and make the play. Yeah. And, and really, the final thing I want to say, you played with Mitch Trubisky. Is there, I've heard nothing but great things about him. Do you have anything to add about him? Do you have anything to say about Mitch Trubisky? Oh, uh, fantastic player, even better uh, person, mm. and on and off the field. So nothing but good things to say about Mitch. That's awesome, man. That's so cool. Hey, well, thank you so much. I really apologize to you. I was cutting you off early in the interview. I've never done anything like this, man. I'm really grateful for your time and, and so appreciative of you. No problem. Thank you, man. I hope you have a great day. I'm rooting for you this year, and uh, I hope you keep in touch, man. You're awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Take care, man. Bye. Whew. Oh, man. Uh, I don't know if you guys could tell. I was... I was very nervous for that interview. Um, but I want to say again, thank you so much to Jeremiah for taking the time. It meant a lot to me. Uh, I'm a big fan of his. You can follow him on Instagram at, at big underscore mellow. Uh, he's a great guy. I'm so grateful for the time he gave me. Uh, guys, that's all I have for the podcast. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Uh, the next episode of the podcast will be longer. We will talk about, uh, we'll do a breakdown of Jarrett Stidham. We'll do a film analysis of Jarrett Stidham, the former Auburn quarterback. We'll do a film breakdown of Tyree Jackson, the Buffalo quarterback. And uh, we'll also talk about five quarterbacks I cannot wait to watch in college football in 2019. Uh, We'll talk about some basketball stuff next episode. We'll talk about some baseball stuff. Baseball just started. Uh, I want to say, too, thank you so very much. I love doing strong opinion sports. It's my favorite thing in the world. And it would really mean a lot to me if you helped me and shared the show with your friends on Facebook, on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about this podcast. My name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much. But um bum bam we are done. Thank you so very much for watching. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is my podcast, Strong Opinion Sports, and it is my favorite thing in the entire world. Uh, you, you may not know this. My dream is to do this as my full-time job. I love it tremendously. And if you believe in that, if you believe in my dream, please do me a favor by helping me grow the show by telling your friends about it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, maybe a screenshot of it, you put it on your Instagram story. 
Uh, it would be a huge help to me. It's very, I'm very, very appreciative of that. Another way you can help me is you can donate money to my PayPal, paypal.me forward slash Zach Schaumler, or you can donate money to my Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. If you have no money to give, no problem. I totally understand. I'm a broke college kid myself. Uh, but what you can do to help me, please help me grow by telling your friends about this podcast.